God's story and how that relates to us. And in previous evenings, I've introduced our topic with a song each time to try to help us maybe see uh, the problem from the angle of someone maybe who's not a Christian. So I'm going to do that again tonight. So if uh, the player is working back there, the words will be on the screen again, and we'll uh, listen to this before we talk about the promise, which is our hope. Most of his clocks put up signs saying position closed And secretaries turn off typewriters and put on their coats And janitors padlock the gates for security guards to patrol And bachelors phone up their friends for a drink while the married ones turn on a chat show And we'll all be lonely tonight and lonely tomorrow Gentlemen, time please, you know we can't serve anymore Now the traffic lights change to stop when there's nothing to go And by five o'clock everything's dead And every third car is a cab And ignorant people sleep in their beds Like the dope white mice in the college lab And nothing ever happens Nothing happens at all The needle returns to the start of the song And we all sing along like before And we'll all be lonely tonight And lonely tomorrow Telephone exchanges click while there's nobody there The Martians could land in the car park and no one would care Closed circuit cameras and department stores shoot the same movie every day And the stars of these films neither die nor get killed Just survive constant action replay Nothing ever happens Nothing happens at all The needle returns to the start of the song And we all sing along like before And we'll all be lonely tonight And lonely tomorrow Advertise products that nobody needs While anger from Manchester Writes to complain about all the repeats on TV And computer terminals report some gains In the values of copper and tin While American businessmen snap up Van Goghs For the price of a hospital wing Nothing happens at all The needle returns to the start of the song And we all sing along like before And 
synagogues at six o'clock And we'll all go along like before And we'll all be lonely tonight And lonely tomorrow Nothing ever happens. And the needle just returns to the start of the song and we all sing along like before. I think that song describes a common understanding of life. The idea that there's lots going on all right, lots of activity, but we're not really going anywhere. We get up in the morning, we go to bed at night, we do it month after month. We might be very busy, but our busyness isn't getting us anywhere. And there are some quite sophisticated ways of saying that we're not going anywhere. For example, the idea of reincarnation says that when you die, you're reborn. You come back to this world in another form and you do it all over again. Reincarnation says that time and history are like a circle. They're continuously looping back on themselves. There are other ways of saying we're not going anywhere. For example, the theory of evolution. Now, the theory of evolution certainly tells us that we're moving. We're supposed to be evolving. But we're not actually going anywhere. The theory of evolution denies that there's any overall plan or purpose to what's going on. Things are just happening. The progress that we make that we make comes by random genetic mutations, we're told. And that means the overall movement of nature and history is random too. We got where we are today by accident. And who knows what's next? If reincarnation says time and history are like a circle, evolution says they're like the scribbles of a two-year-old. Both of those ideas are pretty hopeless explanations of time and history in our lives. And there are people who give in to that hopelessness and just opt out of life. They commit suicide. But the vast majority of people don't go down that route. Instead, they attempt to create their own purpose in life. They set a direction and goals maybe for their physical fitness or their career their earnings, the kind of house that they want to live in someday. Those are all ways we can try to give a direction to ourselves. But underneath all of those goals that people set for themselves lies the assumption that there's no bigger goal. There's no overarching purpose in history and for our lives. We've got to invent our own. There's no big story, so we've got to write our own story. The trouble is, if we ever stop to think, we end up with a pretty scary realization. If there's no big purpose and direction, if there's no big story unfolding, then all of my activity, all of the energy I'm putting into achieving my goals, it's ultimately all for nothing. It's not actually taking me anywhere. If I'm making up my own story for my life, then that's all that it is. It's a made-up story that doesn't really mean anything. Well, this evening I want us to look together briefly at what the Bible teaches. And according to the Bible, 
history is going somewhere. It's not aimless or random. It had a purposeful beginning, and it is being directed by God to a purposeful end. According to the Bible, history and your life within history have eternal significance. No day or minute or action or word is ever meaningless. It all counts. Time and history began with creation, and they are moving purposefully towards a new creation. The first two chapters of the Bible present us with God's original work of creation. The last two chapters present God's work of new creation. And the bit in the middle describes God's unfolding recreation project. We began this series a few months ago by looking at Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Those chapters show us the good world that God made. Then on another night, we looked at Genesis chapter 3. We saw how human rebellion broke that good world. We had some help from Bob Dylan to remind us that we live in a world where everything's broken. And this evening, I want us to look at God's announcement of his recreation project. Actually, it's both an announcement and a promise. We've said Genesis chapter 3 describes the point at which God's creation was broken. And the chapters that follow give us a pretty ugly picture of that brokenness. They give us a thorough flavor of it. But then in Genesis chapter 12, God announces that he's not going to give up on his creation. He sets in motion a plan that will unfold throughout the rest of history. And God starts with one man. God does not work in vague, general terms. He works in specifics. He chooses one man, Abram. His name will later be changed to Abraham. The Bible doesn't tell us if God had communicated with Abram before. It just gives us some bare-bones details about his family tree. It tells us he was living in a place called Haran. And then we read this. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him. On that day in history, God made a promise to one man, and the direction was set for all the rest of history. One writer says, the history that then unfolds in the pages of Scripture is the history of what happened because of this promise. God's plan will unfold over thousands of years of history. Now at this point, Abraham, Abram as he was then, is an old man with no children. But God promises to make him the founder of a great nation. God promises to give him and his descendants special blessing. And God says that other people will receive either God's blessing or God's curse, depending on how they relate to Abram's descendants. Those who join themselves with Abram's descendants will be blessed. 
and through Abram's descendants, all peoples on earth will be blessed. God has announced his project for the rest of history. His promise has set the direction for the rest of history. Through this one man and then the nation that comes from him, God is going to heal his broken world. If you've ever wondered why the Bible focuses so much on the little nation of Israel, it's not because the biblical writers thought Israel was the biggest or the most politically important nation. They knew that it wasn't. The Bible focuses on Israel because the Bible is concerned with God's unfolding plan. And that plan unfolds through the history of Israel. And as we read that history, we discover that God is patient. The whole thing unfolds slowly over many generations. By the end of the book of Genesis, Abraham's family has 70 members. And the rest of the Old Testament describes their continued growth in numbers and their failures and successes. But by the end of the the Old Testament, there is not much sign that all peoples on earth are being blessed through Abram's descendants. Actually, at that point, Abraham's family are at a pretty low ebb. It seems that their glory days are in the past rather than the future. If we sat down and read from Genesis 12 with a promise in our minds right through to the end of the Old Testament, when we finished, I think the overriding question in our minds would probably be this. How is the promise to Abraham going to be fulfilled? Is it going to be fulfilled? Well, as you know, the beginning of the New Testament describes in detail the birth of a particular descendant of Abraham, Jesus Christ. The New Testament tells us he is the descendant of Abraham who will bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. Paul's letter to the Galatians says this, referring back to Genesis. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed is another way of saying his descendants. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. Now, Paul knows very well that the word seed can be singular or plural. You can have a seed and you can have a bag full of seed. Paul knew that. But he's making a very significant point here. God is going to fulfill his promise to Abraham through one specific descendant of Abraham. The blessing God promised to all peoples on earth is going to come through Jesus Christ. And Paul goes on to say, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Men and women will receive the blessing God promised as they come to Jesus. Through faith in Jesus, men and women become members of God's people. We might ask, what is the blessing then? Well, first of all, let's ask, what blessing was lost back in Genesis chapter 3? It was the blessing of fellowship with God. 
When the men and women rebelled against God, they were separated from him. So the blessing that we receive through Jesus is reconciliation with God. And this is how Jesus describes that reconciliation. He says to his people, I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. He's talking about the closest possible relationship. The kind of relationship we have not been able to enjoy since the world got broken in Genesis 3. And today we live in a time when the good news about who Jesus is and what he has done is being shared with men, women, and children all around the world. People from every language and nation are putting their trust in Jesus. They're receiving the blessing God promised to Abraham. And as we've seen, the book of Acts describes how the world began to be blessed through the good news about Jesus. And that blessing is still spreading today. But at this point, we might say, okay, if the direction of history was from Abraham to Jesus, is that it? Has history run its course? Or is there still another goal that history is heading for? Now, you can see from the blank space on the screen that I'm going to tell you there is something else. But listen to what the New Testament says about Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, his son and grandson, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. So the point is, Abraham was blessed by God during his lifetime. But he knew that God's promise of blessing, that promise meant more than just a nice patch of land to settle on. Abraham understood that God was promising a much greater future place. Not a man-made city, but a city built by God. So the promise unfolds like this. From Abraham to Jesus... And then from Jesus to an eternal home for those who belong to Jesus. And that eternal city is described in the last two chapters of the Bible. Revelation 21 and 22. Those chapters are a vision of the future for God's people. And here's how they start. The Apostle John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. That's where history is going. And those who will receive a welcome and a place in that future city 
Those who will receive a welcome are those who come now and find peace with God through Jesus Christ. Those who are reconciled to God will enjoy the blessing of eternity with God. So the path from Abraham to God's future city goes through Jesus. Revelation goes on to say, there will be no place in that city for those who continue in their rebellion against God, who refuse to give Jesus his rightful place. And none of us know when history is going to arrive at that destination. Jesus made it clear that even he didn't know the day or the hour. But we do have this moment to respond to what we've heard. We have this opportunity today to come to Jesus and say, I own up to my rebellion against God. I understand that I can't pay for it by myself. And I put my trust in what you have done for me. Dying on the cross to pay for my rebellion. So the Bible disagrees with the song we heard at the beginning. The Bible tells us that you and I are not trapped in an existence where nothing ever happens. We're not condemned to a meaningless, directionless existence. History is going somewhere. You and I live during the last leg of history's journey. And so the question we all have to answer is this. Am I going to ignore what the Bible tells me about history? Am I going to continue believing that history is really going nowhere? And so the only goal in life is whatever goal I create for myself. Or will I believe what the Bible tells me about history? Will I come to Jesus and live my life in the light of God's plan for history? The Bible tells us that our decisions have tremendous significance. They have eternal significance. And the most important decision any of us will ever make is what we do with Jesus. I would always be very happy to talk to anyone about what it means to trust in Jesus. And it could also be that there are some questions specifically about what we've just looked at here. So if there are any questions, now is the opportunity to ask them. Well, in that case, unless there are any, what I can do is pray for the food, give thanks to God for it, and then we can eat. And like I said, if there's a question that you have that you're afraid to ask, you can catch me at the end with that. Let's pray and give thanks for this food.